Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. And to help us do that today, we have our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Merrick Dembski, Pastor Peter Ill, and I am Pastor Sean Smith. A reminder that this show, I always forget this, so I'm just going to get it out there before Pastor Ill you know, gets on my case about it, that we are an interactive show. You can call in with your questions, um, uh, if you need clarification, things like that. You can certainly call in, you can email, you can get us on social media. So this is how you do it. You can call in at 1-800-730-2727. You can email at kfuo at kfuo.org. You can find us on social media at KFUO Radio. I believe that's like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of the above. Yep. Yeah. All right. So that's how you can interact with us. I'll forget it in the second half of the show. So Pastor L will still be able to make fun of me get on my case about it but we all have our spiritual gifts we we do mine is not remembering to give out the information for how you can get in touch and mine is making fun of you okay all right we all have our crosses to bear my <laughs> spiritual gift is is leading a show where we talk about christ okay i don't know if that's really a spiritual gift it is the gift that christ gives to us though that Indeed. we have this opportunity to do it and so uh we have continued to work on this article the apology of the augsburg confession article 24 of the mass the mass just drips with christ we've talked about it every time we've been on the other hosts have talked about it and so uh we certainly um uh want to continue to uh make our way through this article um Pastor Dembski, since you did such a great job with it last week, once again, just kind of catch us up very briefly. Give us the Twitter version of uh, what what are we talking about here in this article, Article 24 of the Mass. Where we agree and disagree with uh, what was going on in the time uh, in the Roman Catholic Church with the Mass and um, what the teachings were of what is happening, the direction of uh, that worship that we talk about going to receive God's good gifts and praise his name in response versus going to uh, earn his grace by doing something and giving a sacrifice of praise that would be like meritorious to earn his mercy for us that uh, we go to receive God's good gifts rather than to give him something to earn our salvation. Excellent. No sacrifice without faith. That thing. There. That, that's good too. <laughs> We should give that question to the social media guy to give us the Twitter version of things. Well, see, I can only do, I boil down what other people do longer. So while I listen, it's like, oh, here's a short version of that. But you didn't say any hashtags. Hashtag Jesus. There we go. My my folks at my congregations would really love you to come do that for my sermons. <laughs> like, listen to my long-winded sermons and then boil it down to them. And, and they just, they would love someone like that. It, there is a skill to it. I, I wouldn't say it's my spiritual gift, but there's certainly a skill to be able to do that. Maybe you just One need that to record I'm still working it. On. Maybe you just need to record it and send it to him so that on Sunday, after you have finished preaching, you can just post that and then 
you know, <laughs> or have that blurb in the bulletin or something. I have so many older folks. I don't think they really look on. Yeah, the bulletin might work. I don't know that they do social media. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to the the apology of the Augsburg Confession. We're going to pick up uh, with paragraph 41 in article 24 of the mass from the apology of the augsburg confession we are reading from the concordia lutheran confessions readers edition of the book of concord available from cph and again this is paragraph 41 that we're picking up with now good people it can easily be determined that the complaint against us that we abolish the daily sacrifice is entirely false experience shows what sort of antiki they are who hold power in the church under the appearance of religion, they assume to themselves the kingdom of the world. They rule without concern for religion and the teaching of the gospel. They wage war like kings of the world, and they set up new services in the church. The adversaries keep only the ceremony in the mass and publicly apply this to sacrilegious gain. Afterward, they misrepresent that this work, as applied for others, merits grace and all good things for them. They do not teach the gospel in their sermons. They do not comfort consciousness. They do not show that sins are freely forgiven for Christ's sake. Rather, they present the worship of saints, human satisfactions, and human traditions. And they affirm that people are justified before God by these. Although some of these traditions are clearly godless, they still defend them by violence. If any preacher wants to be regarded as more learned, he presents philosophical questions, which neither the people nor even those who propose them understand. Lastly, those who are more tolerable teach the law and say nothing about the righteousness of faith. Okay, I'm, I'm going to pause there. I, I think we've got a, a, a bit to kind of just kind of rehash. I, I think it's pretty plainly stated what, what their case is here. And, and if you go back to the Augsburg Confession itself, they begin with this way by saying, look, we've been accused of abolishing this. And we don't. That's just, that's ridiculous to even say that. So, Pastor, I'll go ahead and talk about that a little bit. Sure. So, as it talks here, I think it's really important that we kind of start at the end of, of this section of text that we read and talk about how important it is that people not just speak the law, which is true and is certainly God's word, but we don't use the law apart from faith. Christianity is not a religion of self-help or a religion of uh, moral discipline and virtue. Instead, it is a place where we hear God's word and we hear how God's law convicts and condemns us. And we turn in the righteousness of faith that we receive from Jesus to him. And Christ gives that to us. And so we don't go through the ceremonies of receiving the Lord's Supper and the ceremonies of the church service and say, oh, because I was here, I'm a better person, or I have some kind of... Uh, some kind of metaphysical connection with a higher power. No, we say Jesus just came to me in his body and his blood, and I believe Jesus at his word. Therefore, he does for me exactly what he promised because he's Jesus, and I'm not. And we take that as our uh, confidence, and we don't go on to make up stuff. Uh, there was a time in the church, and this is what the reformers are responding to, where they made these these daily sacrifices and these daily gatherings for to receive the Mass and the Lord's Supper. And as they did that, they ended up making a whole new set of law that God never provided, uh, that in order to be a good Christian, you had to do X, Y, and Z. We don't add to the words of Scripture. We say, here comes the gift of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Rejoice and be glad in this gift. 
and go from there. Yeah, I like how you point out there that they, they had kind of invented these these other ceremonies and so forth that, of how we you know have this metaphysical, what, how did you phrase it there? Anyway. Metaphysical con- connection with a higher power. That's it, yeah. That metaphysical connection with a higher power, right. You know, how, how do I feel connected with God? Well, it's, it's exactly what is at the heart of the Reformation, right? Is that it's directing us towards works that we do. And it's like, we're never going to be okay with this. Um, does this still manifest itself in the church today? What do you, well, what do you that, think? That's what I was going to say. As you're reading this list of the things that they're doing, I'm I'm sitting here thinking, uh, okay, I can think of times in the last few days alone where I've seen all of that happen, where I myself have been tempted to do some of these things. I mean, you, you look at this, you know, if you want to be presented as learned, uh, well, talk about philosophical questions. Okay, how how often do we ourselves get bogged down and talking about the philosophical questions and discussing them rather than, hey, here's Jesus for you. Uh, I believe some of us are involved in a discussion right now where that's that's part of what's going on. Or this whole, it's more those who are more tolerable teach the law. Yeah, we all love hearing law preached, especially if it's law that we can do. I mean, you, if you want somebody to gain an audience, you want to gain a following, well, preach the law. Give your listeners something that they can accomplish for God, and you will draw them like you know moths to the flame. Or if you preach law against my neighbor's sin, oh yeah, you don't don't deal with me, but yeah. talk about those other folks. Dude, Ooh, that's can, the best. That's the best. Yeah, condemn those yeah. other people over yeah. there. I like it when you do that. I mean, I'm looking going through this list. I'm like, oh, this is this is still us. Um, maybe back then it was more the adversaries than the Lutherans, although I. I tend to doubt that because this is simply the human condition. This is this is what we do. Yeah, I, I've been noticing, especially when it comes to, um, you know, as we come into the season of Christmas, you see this on sh- social media a lot right now. So you've probably seen this a lot, <laughs> Lehman Slayton, uh, that, uh, you know, there's these memes that go around and so forth that, you know, keep Christ in Christmas by serving your neighbor and, you know, all, all these good work things, which are fine. They're scriptural things. And Christ indeed does call us to do these things, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it shows up in Matthew 24, right? Um, they're fine things to do, but that's not how you keep Christ in Christmas. It's certainly not how you keep the Mass in Christmas, right? It is Christ for you. This is um, Timothy, right? You know, Christ came into the world to save sinners. You want to keep Christ in Christmas, right? Go to the Mass. Go receive the forgiveness of your sins, right? And stop looking to works that you do. And I and I think at the time of the Reformation that that bent of the sinful heart, our, our human condition, you know, under this sin-broken world, is, is that we know that we don't have peace with God and we desperately look for it, right? And so, you know, I'm facing cancer. How do I know that I've done what I'm supposed to do? Well, we point to the way that they fought cancer and things like that. And and, and again, it's fine to talk about some of these things. We, we endeavor to support life and, and defend it and things of that nature. But I think far too often we get too caught up in the works instead of just saying, I have peace with God because that's what Jesus has done, right? And mm-hmm. I need more of that. And then these other things will not be lacking as we get into the articles on, on good works and so forth as we've covered them. We, we have have that clear understanding that they will flow forth from it but we 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 do i think you're dead on it, it is part of that human condition that even at times affects us as lutherans right mm-hmm. pastor well, Demsky, or sorry you was one one final comment even the even the whole idea of keep christ and christmas by going to church can then as good a thing as it is and the right way to observe christmas if i can even phrase it that way even that then becomes a well 
I went to church on Christmas and you didn't, you pagan. Oh, I love it. You're all speechless after that. Great. Okay, now Pastor Dembski. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to follow that up. But I mean, <laughs> now, uh, looking here in this paragraph, and it talks about um, still defending these things by violence. Although some of these traditions are clearly godless, they still defend them by violence. And I think so oftentimes when, when we think that uh, there's no big differences whatsoever, you know, like you say Christ's body and blood's in the supper and you say it's just a symbol. It's no big deal. And it's like, no, these things are, these are a huge deal. It's either this is where Jesus is coming to give us exactly what we need for life or it's not. You know, and and it makes sense then why if someone's trying to take away Jesus from people, you know, and say, you know that you are saved when you feel it or when you've done this or, you know, those all those works or you've got, you know, you're saved because Christ says so and he has given you life. And to think that we, I don't know, not that we should be violent and all that, but just that you think about how seriously people took that faith to say we need to defend this and we need to contend for this and make sure that it's being taught rightly we, we don't necessarily get violent we get outraged and we get <laughs> angry i yeah. see that on the internet a lot too i mean that's that's kind of we we might not punch each other in the face over this but we'll yell at each other yeah. but when we contend as christians we contend with god's word and it is that word of god that we use um because ultimately god doesn't need me to defend him yeah. at the end of the day. Uh, so God speaks through his word, and sometimes he even sees fit to use me to do it. But I don't need to go be violent. I don't need to defend or protect God, because when I speak and confess God's word as as I've come to know it, then so be it. And that's just how it is, and that's fantastic. Well, the adversaries may have been using violence mm -hmm. and may have been contending by uh, political and economic means. We don't need to do that. We simply get to let God speak through his word and he will do what he sees fit and the chips will fall where they may. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's an important point to make, too. And, and sometimes... And I, I don't think that you were saying this, Layman Slayton, but I'm going to use the example that you <laughs> you said that we were all speechless for. I just thought you had more coming out of your mouth. But, uh, it was the look on your face. But, uh, you know, the whole directing to go to church, there's obviously, you know, we, again, because of our human tendency, we can take going to church and turn it into a work, right? Yeah, I think that we've we, actually talked about that on right, previous shows. Absolutely. Yep. And so that, that tension is certainly there. And yet at the same time, we can speak from God's word and, and direct people, this is how you live in your life of faith, right? Mm -hmm. And and the key becomes is that we don't follow it up with that, you pagan, or you know, some kind of attacking thing. <laughs> Which or whatever, is why right? I did that. You know, I was exactly. Right. Emphasize yeah. the point. You, you, yeah. were, you were emphasizing and yeah. making it uh, uh, plain, and, and I thank you for yeah. that because, you know, it often comes out this way, especially for myself as a pastor, right? I just simply say, look, the Lord urges us to go to church or, you know, mm -hmm. it, and, you know, you, oh, it seems like you're having a rough time. Maybe you should go to church, right? You know, yeah. I'm encouraging that, right? And and yet at the same time, not demanding it, right? Not pushing it on them of, oh, well, you're not really a true Christian and so forth. Well, again, we can still have those kinds of conversations of how do we live as Christians, right? And, and what we confess, the way we live and so forth. Um, but uh, we, we don't do it by force. We do it motivated by the gospel. We, we let Jesus invite us to what he extends to us there. And I think that that's an excellent point to, that you made there, Pastor. And, and, and continuing on that point, I think this 
when they talk about the adversaries defending them by violence. I think I, th- I think that's part of the problem here. Maybe that's an indicator for us as we're looking at this. You know, Pastor Ill, as you said, God doesn't need me to defend him. Therefore, I don't need to confess the faith through violent means, through anger, through outrage. Perhaps one of the things that we can learn as we listen, as we're reading this is, okay, perhaps the we have to be careful with this because there are instances where this probably doesn't work, but the individual who is contending for the faith using those means, who is really angry, who's outraged, who's violent, perhaps is the person that we should be aware of. You know, because if you are confessing God's word, if you're simply proclaiming Christ and what God's word says, you would you trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. And I think, at least from my own, from my own experience, when I'm angry and outraged, I'm very often trying to use that anger and outrage to actually convince the person. I, I'm trusting that to do the work that the Holy Spirit is actually supposed to be doing, or I'm just being a sinner in my anger and outrage too, and that's also wrong. Or sometimes wrestling with that sin that is inside Ooh, you yeah. too. I mean, that, it makes that me mad because I see it and I don't want to yeah. acknowledge it. Yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes have to catch myself. I mean, this is a mistake we can all make, but I sometimes catch myself in my sermon where I get a little worked up, and and I think sometimes our people forget that some or not sometimes the the pastor is always his first audience, right? And so I'm <laughs> preaching it myself as much, but I I get worked up, and it's like you know it stops being a conversation about the word, and 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 I definitely need to rein that in when I recognize it and so forth but uh speaking as a layman in the pews right we know you're talking about you yeah i mean that's the thing i'm I'm working this out on myself right you know yep pastor needs to hear this okay great (laughs) i need to hear it too good (laughs) it's good that you have that understanding sometimes uh it's forgotten it's like oh you're just preaching at us and it's like well i'm one of you still yeah and i was gonna make uh on the point that you made too about the the time of the reformation that the adversaries were doing this when i was reading through that and you know they wage wars like kings of the world and they set themselves or, or they set up new services in the church and things like that i was like yeah i think the lutherans know what that is all about they're getting excommunicated running for their lives you know things of that nature so yeah, they definitely know what's what's going on there. All right, uh, anything more before we pick up with uh, paragraph forty-four? All right, let's push forward. Uh, paragraph forty-four of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article Twenty-four of the Mass. In the confutation, the adversaries fuss over the desertion of churches. Altars stand unadorned, lacking candles and images. They regard these trifles as ornaments to churches. It is a far different desertion that Daniel means, 1131, 12.11 of Daniel, that is, namely ignorance of the gospel. Overwhelmed by the multitude and variety of traditions and opinions, the people were in no way able to welcome the sum of Christian doctrine. Among the people, whoever understood the doctrine of repentance as presented by the adversaries, yet this is the chief topic of Christian doctrine. Consciences were tormented by the listing of offenses and by satisfactions, namely Luther. That's me talking. I'm, I'm inserting this in. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're working out their own issues here, too, the Lutherans. Yep, right yep. All right. The adversaries never mentioned faith by which we freely receive the forgiveness of sins. All the books and all the sermons of the adversaries were silent about the exercises of faith, struggling with despair and the free forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. To these, the horrible... Pro- 
profanation of the masses, and many other godless services in the churches were added. This is the desertion described by Daniel. All right, I'm going to pause there. All right, so what's going on there? Pastor L, take us away. So Daniel, especially in the second half of the book of Daniel, is describing things that are to come and things that Daniel sees in a vision uh, of the end time and a vision of of heaven. It's kind of Revelation-esque in that way. And he sees the this abomination that's happening in the temple. But it's not just the the terrible things that are going to happen at the temple in Jerusalem, or it's not going to be removal of candles or the way that things are in the churches of, of Europe in the 1600, or 1500s, but instead it is what happens in the world during these last days when God's word is indeed despised and rejected. And that abomination, that desolation of God himself being rejected is what the prophet Daniel is talking about. And it's what the reformers pick up on here as well. Okay. Pastor Demsky. When you look at this, the the idea of the, the candles and images, all that stuff, that that's the idea of, what it means for the church to be empty versus what Pastor Earl was just emphasizing that the word of God, if the word of God's not there, that's when you know a church is empty. You know, whether it's, whether it's, uh, I don't know, all the different styles of architecture that you can have for a church building. Like it's, it's wonderful when you can have a beautiful ornate sanctuary, or if you are in a storefront or a, you know, like a warehouse, whatever the, however the people can meet around God's word, that last part's the important part, God's word. <laughs> like That's the part that's at the center of it all. And praise be to God when we can have other things to draw our attention to God's word through seeing, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, crucifix on the wall or seeing the altar, seeing, you know, all these different things that can draw our attention to the word. Um, but if our definition of what it means to be in a good church is just because it's got the nice gold candles or has the nice altar that's got the matching wood to the pulpit, pulpit and everything else, then then we're missing the point, and it's just as big of a problem. I mean, my first thought was being a missionary kid growing up in Africa mm-hmm. and having been to church underneath a tree. It's like, wait, uh-oh, that, that's a problem. There, was, there wasn't even a pulpit. There was a guy standing under a tree and then everybody else standing around, maybe sitting on the ground. And if you were lucky, there might have been a bench or two, but literally nothing but the crowd, God's word and the tree. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And yet at the same time, people tend to move towards these things. Right. Mm -hmm. And and, and whether it be the beautiful candles and the big crucifixes and things like that or, or the exact screens (laughs) or, you know, whatever it may be, we, we tend to move to to ornate. Is that a word? Ornament? Or- ornament. There we That's go. That's the word. Make ornate. All right. Yeah. Make ornate, yeah. <laughs> uh, the places that we gather together, We, we I mean, especially if we're setting up a church and so forth, yeah. a lot of times they will begin very simply and so forth. Yeah. But over time, we'll add things and build things and so forth, and, and we add these in. And so I think one of the things that, that often happens, and and here I'm not condemning my churches or people by any means, but I'm, I'm just using it as an example. So I, I have two congregations that go back to the 1800s, and they have a lot of these things that have been built up over time. And at times, even myself included, right, you you see something in there and it was placed in there to confess the gospel. I'm sure of it, right? But then the teaching has fallen off as to how that confesses the gospel. <laughs> and then we just have to have it because it's there, right? And we fall into the same works thing ourselves. And this uh, 
at least for me, always emphasizes the importance of teaching and passing it on from generation to generation so that it doesn't become empty things because then what happens is exactly the point that Pastor L and Pastor Dembski were making of what we're saying here in the Augsburg or apology is that then we've lost the gospel, we've lost Jesus, and, and it's really become meaningless, whichever end you're on, right? Yeah. yeah. I think we have a, a good thing that we humans can do is to to show that something is important to us. We do like to make it beautiful, what, whatever that beauty looks like in, in different cultures, different ways. Uh, beautiful and even expensive. We put resources into it to show this is important. As Christians, when it comes to church, hopefully we're doing that because of the gospel. We are confessing the faith and we're using this to do that. But it very easily can turn from a confession of who Christ is and what he's done to uh, I like this actual thing, and it's the thing itself that is important to me. And like you said, that's that's when the teaching has gone away from that thing, and now the focus is on the thing rather than the thing, than what the thing is supposed to be confessing. Well, that church did this thing, and that's going really well, so we should do that thing too. And you get into the those those motivations too. Oh yeah, too, that's, that's you know, a whole and, other side right, of it. Right, yep. Right. Yeah, it definitely becomes very deep. And and even again, bring it back to my own preaching and so forth. I constantly have to evaluate. You know, there are good things that we can teach from Scripture, right? And sometimes in my sermon, it's like, well, I've just spent you know four pages here talking about this thing that is that is really good and really godly, but my job is proclamation of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And have I successfully done that? And sometimes I've even been known to Sunday morning in reevaluating my sermon. It's like time to rip it up and make sure I get Jesus in there, uh, you know, because that, that that is the more important thing. We can't be devoid of the gospel. Otherwise, we make the same mistake as the adversaries. Um, yeah, definitely. Jesus assumed is no Jesus at all, as they say. Uh, I heard that <laughs> recently, I think, today. And, uh, we... It's really important for us not to simply assume that wherever we are and wherever the church is gathered, that Jesus is there and just make that blanket level assumption. No, Jesus comes in his word and in his sacraments, and we celebrate that and we rejoice in it. And we can certainly do it in the good, the true, and the beautiful as we are commended to in Scripture. But uh, uh, we got to take a break. I'm just going to have to do it awkwardly today. So come on back after the break. What is it that you want to share with us? Call the KFUO comment line at 314-996-1542. Tell us what we're doing right, wrong, or just leave a message with your thoughts on why KFUO is important to you. What would you like to hear on KFUO to make your listening experience better? You can call us anytime at 314-996-1542. Thank you for listening and sharing your thoughts with KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Young pro-life people are having their voices heard. Recently, members of Students for Life in America met with administration officials to discuss a five-point plan aimed at ending Planned Parenthood funding. Spokeswoman Christy Amrick is my guest on World Lutheran News Digest, Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, 
making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Tiny Tim's God Blesses Everyone from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol has become as iconic as the book itself. When Charles Dickens began the book in October of 1843, he hoped to shed light on poverty in England. His publishers, disappointed in the profits of his previous novel, had little regard for the book, so Dickens paid the publishing costs himself. A Christmas Carol became the most successful book of the season, with over 6,000 copies sold by Christmas Eve. But did you know, one of Dickens' least known books was The Life of Our Lord, written for his children. He wrote to his son Edward, The New Testament is the best book that ever was or will be known in the world. To our Merry Christmas, God bless us. God bless Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters, that show where we seek to be of one mind, the mind of Christ. And to do that, we have our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians here in the studio today. Layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Merritt Dembski, Pastor Peter Ill, who's dancing around and making it very awkward. <laughs> Myself, <laughs> Pastor Sean Smith. Reminder that you can call in, you can email you can social Sweet. media with us. Facebook, you can social Instagram media us. Right. Yeah, so uh, the, the phone you call... You can gram the, it. The, the phone number is 1-800-730-2727. Again, when out stumbling, 1-800-730-2727. You can email at kfuo at kfuo.org, social media at kfuo radio. Lots of ways to interact with us. Ask your questions, get your clarifications. As we continue to talk about the Mass, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 24, and we were um, taking a very awkward break before the show. Sometimes you just got to take a break, you know, and uh, and so we, we definitely got that in. But now it's time to get back from break, focus our minds, and get back to talking about Jesus in the Mass, because we don't want to lose the gospel, certainly not in the Mass, right, as as the adversaries had and the Lutherans are rightly pointing that out to him. And we don't want to lose Jesus in our show either. I mean, we, we don't just throw his name out there either. We, we actually try to deliver him. It, it, the, the tagline for the radio station is Christ for you anytime, anywhere, right? So yeah. let's continue to do that. All right. Let's, let's awkwardly jump back, back into it then. All right. Paragraph 48. Again, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 24 of the Mass. On the contrary, by God's favor, our priests attend to the ministry of the word, teach the gospel about Christ's blessings, and show that the forgiveness of sins happens freely for Christ's sake. So this is, on the contrary, you know, so we, they made the point, we've been falsely accused of abolishing the Mass, right? And uh, 
it's actually the adversaries who have abolished the mass by losing the gospel entirely, especially out of their sermons and the things they're just doing, these empty ceremonies. We've talked about all that. But on the contrary, our preachers, we keep the gospel front and center. I mean, this is definitely what the Lutheran Reformation was all about. All right, getting back into to reading here. This doctrine brings sure comfort to consciences. I, okay, I'm going to pause again. <laughs> Sorry, like, but are you noticing here? I, I just want to point out for the readers, because I didn't even notice this until just the second when I was reading, when I read for show prep, I didn't. Like, they're, they're doing a point-by-point comparison of all the things that the adversaries are claiming about us is actually what they're doing. And here... Here's how we are actually doing. This is what we're keeping by point by point. And the conscience is that's a big point flowing forth from the gospel, all right? And that's what the adversaries have lost. All right. The doctrine of good works that God commands is also added. The worth and the use of the sacraments are declared. If the daily sacrifice was the proper use of the sacrament, we would keep the sacrifice. The adversaries would not. For their priests use the sacrament to make money. This is a more frequent and more conscientious use. The people... Huh? There is. Sorry. By, by saying this is, that actually changes Whoa, wow. the meaning of the sentence. This is so. why folks with dyslexia <laughs> should really not read on the radio. All right. That's that's a good clarification. I, I only, I only interrupted because that actually Ooh, changes that, the entire that, doctrinal that, point of that yeah. sentence. Oh, that, that's how you get fired from volunteering your time to KFUO. All right. <laughs> Make it into heresy. I all like right. to joke how much heresy are we going to confess on the air this time. Hey, we actually did it. Yeah. Wow. But well, we corrected thanks, it right away. We did. We fixed Sean. it, though, so okay. we're good. Oh, yeah. Thanks for saving me. All right. There Jesus is... saved you, not me. <laughs> well... With your assist here in this particular matter. (laughs) There is a more frequent and more conscientious use. The people use it after having first been instructed and examined. People are taught about the true use of the sacrament. It was set up to be a seal and testimony of the free forgiveness of sins, and so that it should remind alarmed consciences to be truly confident and believe that their sins are freely forgiven, since we keep both the preaching of the gospel and the lawful use of the sacrament. The daily sacrifice remains with us. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pause there. You guys, who wants to jump in there? Well, we're, we're back to two years ago. When we've been since we've been working on this, back to Article Four on justification, where over and over and over the whole point is: look, you're you're not comforting consciences. You're, one of the main things you're supposed to be doing is comforting consciences. And in this one, what's what's helpful is they're emphasizing: look, because you're doing this without faith, therefore doing this without Jesus, there is no comfort to these consciences. So I appreciate. You know, Melanchthon coming back to once again, look, comfort the consciences, that's what you're supposed to be doing, and faith is a part of that because faith points to Christ, and you've lost all of that. This isn't church anymore. You're doing something else. Yeah, it, I mean, we, we made this point for over a year on talking about yeah. <laughs> Article 4, uh, right, of of how the, the doctrine of justification really is the article upon which the church stands and falls. It really does always come back to that and relate to that because the article of justification is Christ for you, right? Yeah. And so we're not just speaking empty words here of saying, oh yeah, we keep Christ at the center. I I, I know a lot of Christians who maybe by their their actual profession of faith and, and things of that nature that they say they keep Christ at the center, but it, it may not be. I mean, even the adversaries in this case would say, oh, yeah, Christ is at the center. But we're pointing out how he's not really. 
when the gospel is lost, yeah. Jesus isn't at the center. And and we're showing here in the point of, look, we're not just speaking empty words and saying, oh, yeah, we keep Jesus at the center. No, we're actually showing how he's at the center in this issue of the mass, right? Because it really does relate to that article of justification. What did he come to do for you yeah. that your conscience may have be confident, right? When your sin attacks you, when, when the devil seeks to tempt you, right? When, when you're crushed by this sin broken world and all the, the wars and plagues and everything else out there, right? Um, Christ for you is really what will comfort your conscience. And that's why we can't lose the gospel. It all stands upon that article of justification. Pastor L, did I sense that you were wanting to jump in there? No, but no. I okay. can't. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I, you were looking at me, and you don't always There was a disturbance. I, I like this idea of God's word and God's sacrament, especially the sacrament of the altar, are a seal of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And in the preaching of the word, in the reception of baptism, in the reception of the Lord's Supper, Jesus comes to us. This is the seal. Not that we put our faith into the Bible, our faith is in Jesus. We don't put our faith in our baptism, our faith is in Jesus. We don't put our faith in the Lord's Supper, our faith is in Jesus. But in those ways, Jesus comes to us and says, just in case you were thinking or tempted to fear or to doubt that I would take off or that I would leave you in the lurch, here, here is this gift so that you, you sinner, can know that you're my sinner, and you're my forgiven sinner, and you are made whole and holy and complete. And thus made a saint. And thus made a saint. Absolutely. This is a great point to, to, to emphasize here because we're going to transition here in just a second to some outward things, right? And, and, and I mean, a part of all of these things, a part of baptism, Lord's Supper, um, you know, how we gather together as the church and so forth, we can't deny, and we were talking some before the break and so forth, we can't deny there are outward things associated with this. And, and we want to maintain the good, the true, and the beautiful, and all of those sorts of things in there and so forth. But we, we don't want to just be speaking mere empty words about Jesus being at the center of that. We want to make clear and I think that's the big key for the Lutherans is they want to clearly distinguish. If if I have to dig and figure out how Jesus is at the center of this, then then we're not doing a good job, right, of keeping him in the center. And going back to the first half of the show today, we readily admit that even though our our doctrine, our confession has Christ at the center, because of our sinful nature, we fail at that. I mean, at the very beginning, I I had mentioned, well, yeah, I like to have discussions on philosophical questions and you know this focus on the law and all those things and so while while as we're studying it here it's the adversaries who are doing all that we do humbly recognize uh we do we do that too and and so this this part of the reason that we always bring this up and that we should always continue to bring this up is because we always struggle and fail at doing it ourselves and we need each other to encourage each other you listeners who are listening to us if we fail to do this call in and say hey i was confused i it, you know how did how does this actually point me to christ i mean i frankly i'd love to get a phone call <laughs> that's, that asks that question okay you mentioned this doctrinal point over here how does that actually point me to christ i'm confused yeah and and i think that even just that this is a small side tangent maybe or whatever, but, but just 
I think a helpful thing for us as people is is to approach it in that matter, right? Mm-hmm. Of of assuming the best, right? Yeah. And saying, <laughs> you know, help me understand how how does this connect, right? And yep. instead of coming and, and attacking and so forth, and and I've recognized that sinful tendency even myself, right? You know, I don't always put the best construction on things, but but it can be really helpful to come and and then also as one approached like as a pastor in my job, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to, to, to recognize my, my job is to help them understand and see, to teach, right? I, I am to be apt to teach. That is one of the qualifications of a pastor. Help teach and, and get them to understand and to see how Christ has made himself the center of this gift that he has given to us, right? Um, yeah, just side tangent, but I, but I think a helpful point for us, right? Yeah. And, and does tie in with the show. That's certainly one of the points of this teaching of the show. And I know sometimes, I think about this sometimes after episodes or when we're preparing, it can seem combative at times when we're going through this. I mean, the whole thing is a defense, right? No, it's, it's not, Merit. Oh, okay. Shut up, you're dumb. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was trying to make a point. Stop uh, punching me in the face. Why are you doing that? <laughs> no, but, but uh, you know, it can, it can sound hostile or something at times. And yet, part of teaching is that not... Uh, how do you say, like, the the unpacking to get the correct teaching in there. You know, if, if someone comes up with a completely empty bag, they've never heard anything of Jesus before, they're totally different context and all that stuff, and you start telling about Jesus, you can just tell them about Jesus. You can just tell them about Scripture. Someone who comes that has a totally different background that has certain terms or certain, you know, phrases that are that are still used but have different meanings, all of a sudden you have to say, this is what this means, but it doesn't mean this over here. And it's like, well, don't be so hostile. Just teach the positive. It's like, well, sometimes you have to explain, you know, like when we're talking about the mass, we could say the mass as well, but we have to explain what we mean by that, you know, or say, this is not what we mean, but we do mean this instead. And so it can be helpful to to uh, understand that distinction too. I once talked to a pastor who's out in Casper, Wyoming, uh, Christian Preuss is his name, and he had actually given a presentation i wish i i had the fullness or our place to direct folks to this but but he was actually talking about this his his presentation was you know when there is error you actually have to identify the error so that you can help in the teaching task and i think that's the point you're mm-hmm. making right and and it, i i do think that in this very divided world right in our sinful natures and so forth we see that tendency of um, you know, oh, you're being combative, you know, is our tendency to respond that way. And it's like, no, we're, we're just simply pointing out the error. And, and at times, again, maybe our own simple failings is we maybe like I'm the human mood ring, right? So my face <laughs> turns red and maybe, maybe I'm not actually angry when my face turns red. Maybe I'm just like, you know, embarrassed about my own inability to clearly define something or something like that. Well, right? Sometimes the thermostat's set too high. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so, that too. Sometimes I actually am being combative. I mean, this is the difficulty is the finding there's good ways and bad ways to approach. I mean, this is why I don't envy you guys as pastors when you're talking about the proper distinction of law and gospel. Okay, it's it's actually fairly simple to distinguish between the two. Actually figuring out which one the person needs to hear standing in front of you right then, oh, that's not easy at all. <laughs> that's hard. And And this is kind of what we're coming up against here is even in this confession of correcting false doctrine or trying to point people in the right direction, we all know good ways and bad ways to do that. And it's a constant tension to figure out, okay, how do I do it? And then the humility of, uh uh-oh, I think I screwed it up that time. Okay, how do I 
fixed this. <laughs> yeah, as a as a great theologian, CFW Walter uh, once pointed out, it's it's something that only can be learned in the school of experience, right? And, yep. and and the more I go on in the pastoral ministry, the more I recognize that this is true. And it's like, wow, I I really didn't do such a good job <laughs> back there. Um, but 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 it helps us grow and develop in in the skills and under the first article that God gives us, right? That we use our reason and, and that that should continue to develop. We live in a world where so much emphasis is placed on good news and on positivity and on good things. And the idea of making a qualification or of saying, well, no, not exactly. Just disagreement as a whole. Disagreement as a whole yeah. is, well, we're just not so sure about that. But here we have a chance to say, let me tell you unqualifiedly about Jesus, the challenge. Excuse me. The challenge is, while I'm telling you about Jesus, your sinful brain or my sinful brain is running things through this whole machinery of, of sinful flesh and sinful thoughts and a sinful way of being that wants to do nothing more than misunderstand Jesus. And so this happens in terms of the Mass and the Lord's Supper. This happens in terms of hearing the Word. This happens in terms of who my pastor is and how he treats me. This has to do with how I treat other Christians and even people who aren't Christians. And in all that I do, I have these tugs towards imperfection and evil and i know that's not a positive thing to say but it is what god's word says about us but thanks be to god our lord jesus christ has come born to mary suffering dying crucified rising from the dead ascending to heaven and he rules and he reigns over all things and that means right here and right now he is delivered to you in the proclamation of his word and he even comes in his body and his blood for a sinful schmuck like me that is fabulous sinful schmuck all right <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true for me too. Oh, okay. Uh, I, don't I thought you were disagreeing no. about me. <laughs> well, I'll just I do, say amen to but, all of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I had a point, and then I was derailed. That's why. I, <laughs> that's why I said it. I, I was like logging this away in my head. I was like, he'll finish, and don't forget this point. Don't forget this point. And then he ends with sinful schmuck, and I was like, and I forgot the point. <laughs> now the reality is, it's your own sinful schmuckiness that mm. actually derailed. Your actually, thought. now you rerailed me. I'm back on track. Woo! All right. So yeah. So. And this is the point, too, that I, I want to add to that. So we certainly have our own sinful flesh that this runs through and, and so forth, right? But we can't deny the, the other part of the evil trinity out there, the devil who seeks to tempt and lead us astray. He's a liar from the beginning, right? And and also the world. And, and I think this is one of the points of, obviously, we don't agree with all of their theology, but Ken Ham and the answers in Genesis folks and so forth. I think this is one of the points that they are really on target with of uh, sometimes in the in the apologetic task, one of the things that we have to do is kind of deconstruct other systems that have been put in place that when we speak the word, it's getting run through systems, right? And and the kind of the simple case in point of this is when we talk about Bible stories, right? Now we say that and, and we believe that these aren't just like made up stories and so forth, that they are actually true, right? They convey God's truth, pointing us to Jesus. That's that's what the Bible is for. But yet we have this this um you know, these systems put in place in us, in, in this world, right? Um, that we, we hear Bible stories and we run it through that and we, we 
think story and oh that's made up you know this is this just you know carries a a moral meaning for us or something like that and it doesn't actually convey truth of no this is actually what jesus has historically done this is actually what god has done in the creation of the world and so we we have kind of that whole evil wicked trinity working against us not just our own sinful flesh so i just wanted to add that to your point but go ahead we have a construct of of story and here in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, it's going to go on to talk about the construct that we have of church service and the construct of the external uh, the external aspects and rituals of the church service. And it's going to talk about the importance of confessing Christ and seeing Christ in these outward actions in the construct of church service. Yeah. So let's go ahead and jump to it then. Although I, before we do, I want to make this point that I don't, I don't know that I actually like this next point here. It's kind of like a weak point because like, well, I'll just read it here. All right. <laughs> Picking up paragraph 50, article 24 of the Apology of the Oxford Confession. If we must speak about of outward appearances, church attendance among us is better than among the adversaries. And that's where I'm just Uh-oh. like, okay. Come on, wrong card to play. Even Especially the reformers in a, play the numbers game. Yeah, uh. and it's like, I mean, I get what you're saying here, but let's not just point to but, numbers. But it's going to get better. It's going to get better. <laughs> it will. Patience. But th- this point is just weak. All right, sorry. The audiences are held by useful and clear sermons. Neither the people nor the teachers have ever understood the doctrine of the adversaries. There's nothing that keeps people at church more than good preaching. The true adornment of the churches is godly, useful, and clear doctrine. The devout use of the sacraments, fervent prayer, and the like. Candles, golden vessels, and similar adornments are fitting, but they are not the specifically unique adornment belonging to the church. If the adversaries make these things the focus of worship and not the preaching of the gospel in faith and the struggles of faith, they are to be numbered among those whom Daniel describes as worshiping their God with gold and silver. So it does get better. And and I wholeheartedly agree with the point. It just kind of begins in a weak point. But go go ahead and talk about how it's better, Pastor. Well, and the the thing that I would like to highlight, and I'll just reread this this one sentence: the true adornment of the churches is godly, useful, and clear doctrine, the devout use of the sacraments, fervent prayer, and the like. What is the church? The church is the people of God gathered around Christ, the Word of God, who receive Him as He is proclaimed in clear doctrine in the scripture readings and in the text and in the sermon and in the absolution, and as they receive Him as He covers sinners in baptism and as he feeds broken sinners his body and his blood and he makes saints and so that is the true adornment of the church all of the vestments and the candles and anything else that you want to use if you want to use it fine and good but by all means do not lose the preaching of the gospel fervent prayers and the devout use of the sacraments and this is one of the points I think I made it all the way back on the first show that we did on this article, actually, of I think that there is a place where we should talk about those things, right? And and I do firmly believe on the basis of Scripture and other things, uh, well, you know, Scripture and our confessions, those things that we subscribe to, right, uh, especially as clergy, that, you know, we can certainly have conversations of some things are better, and more in line with our scriptural confession than other things, right? And so we need to have those conversations. But coming back again to the point, we don't need to have them combatively. 
We, we just need to simply teach and let God's truth speak for itself. And, and I often, you know, just especially when it comes to vestments, you know, I, I, I definitely fall under the camp of kind of that high church liturgy kind of kind of group. I, I don't really call it that. I just call it orthodox. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's a little combative. I thought we were working on not nope. being combative. Yeah, I'm not being combative. Heterodox I'm people over here. Yeah. It's orthodox. But anyway, uh, no, I, you know, I, I, what I have learned in the school of experience to do is, is how to better clarify and convey why those things are there and why they're used and how they help point us to Jesus and, and his teachings, right? You know, I, I remember kind of one of the more successful ones is I, I had a cope and it was Easter service and so forth. And it was just, you know, this kind of fancy thing. If you don't know what a cope is, Google it. It's They are fabulous. Fancy <laughs> church cape. You know, makes us superheroes. No, not really. No, I, I don't want to detract here. But but I remember a lady in my congregation, and it's not one that I serve now, but at the congregation at the time, came to me, and um, you know, she was really troubled by it, and she she hadn't really seen that and known that, and thought it was you know just without purpose and so forth. And um, and I and I happened to remember her wedding. I said, well, why did you wear a beautiful wedding gown on your wedding? You know, to well to point to. The, the majesty of kind of what that is, and especially as Christians that, you know, this, this reflects Christ in his church. And I say, you're absolutely right. And that's what that vestment points us to. You know, we are the bride of Christ in the church. And, and so you can kind of get these things to help us teach and understand where these things have come in and so forth. And so we're, it's not like we throw the outward things out and we need to talk about them, certainly. But but we, we don't want to just have them for the sake of having them and thus lose the gospel. Right, which is going back to the point you made earlier, if they're not taught then then they are of no use Th- these things in and of themselves do not point to christ that these are these are symbols these are when we're talking about the church ceremonies not not the lord's supper not the preaching of the word the things but things that we have added to it they do not intrinsically in and of themselves point to christ uh, i might push on that a little bit okay though. that's um, fine and, and but the, we can we, we can we have do, this yeah. we actually have to teach how they do and why they do, and be careful that if somebody says, well, that doesn't actually work for me, we can actually work with that person and can't just say, well, uh, I guess you're a heretic. So the the reason I want to push on that a little bit Mm -hmm. is because this is the beneficial use of the historic liturgy, is that it is drawn directly from God's Word, and it delivers Christ to you in his own words. Like, we're not making up and inventing our own words. And so that can also be a comfort to me as a pastor, that when I fail in my sermon... Well, I'd argue things, that we're talking about the Word now, not the liturgy, so my point still stands. But the liturgy is the Word. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Christian, consider this. Every time that we get to talk, and every time that we do... Um, that we gather for worship or that you gather to listen to a study on KFUO or anything else that you do. Jesus is the very center. And when Jesus is the center, he is the one who fills what we do and why we do it. And what we do in the church service should point to Christ. Therefore, always feel free to ask yourself, your pastor, um, or, or anyone else who's trustworthy, why do we do that? And how does that thing point us to Jesus? The Lord's Supper points us to Jesus because Jesus tells us, this is my body and my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this often in remembrance of me. Amen. And as this is our last show before Christmas, I want to wish all of you listeners out there a Merry Christmas as we come into this holy season. Keep the Mass in Christmas by receiving Christ for you. Until next time. 
keep confessing, church.